This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. My name is Robert Rim, Managing Editor for Arch Street Press. I'll be your host today. Today our guest is Amy Sample Ward, CEO of N10, the Nonprofit Technology Network, an international nonprofit whose mission is to enable members to strategically use technology to make the world more equitable. N10 connects members to each other, provides professional development opportunities, educates their constituency on issues of technology use in nonprofits, and spearheads groundbreaking research, advocacy, and education on technology issues affecting its entire community. Amy graduated summa cum laude from Valparaiso University, where she studied English and new media journalism. She's spoken at events around the world and in 2013 co-authored Social Change Anytime Everywhere, How to Implement Online Multi-Channel Strategies to Spark Advocacy, Raise Money, and Engage Your Community. She is also the co-author of Social by Social, a handbook in using social technologies for social impact. Amy, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I got excited just hearing my own bio because I thought, wow, I never actually think about all these different pieces put together. And I'm excited to get to talk to you today about if there's anything that I've learned or experienced that I can share with all of your community. Sure. Good. Well, did you have any technology experiences uh, in your childhood that led to your interest in technology as a career? That's such an interesting question. I think, um, you know, I really think that what is interesting to me as I reflect back on childhood and kind of early experiences with technology is that it was not novel. It wasn't something that felt particularly special and separate and kind of sacred. And for me, I really, I really like that because I think, as I said on reflection, I think what that means is now, you know, I, I feel like I'm not scared of technology. I'm not intimidated by it. I know that some other human built this, so it can't be all that complex, right? <laughs> if another yes. human built it, certainly the rest of us humans can figure it out. And I think because my kind of early experience with technology, as I said, wasn't wasn't that it was some special exclusive thing. It was a computer that was in the classroom and all of us had access to or something that, you know, early days of AOL, you could go into a chat room and talk to somebody anywhere in the world in that moment that it felt like it was, it was really a tool. It was really there to serve us and connect us and let us maybe be who we wanted to be or connect with other people in the, in the way that we wanted to connect. Uh, and that's, that really shaped my use of technology. Not that I thought it was a special place where I, you know, it, it was fun and, and special that I got to use it, but that it was so every day that it wasn't special. And so now, like I said, it isn't intimidating. It's, it's a tool that's here for all of us to use. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the, what's their reach and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit further but as since you mentioned uh, what's the reach of N10 right now does it have an international uh, uh, scope we do we have about 70,000 folks who 
participate in the community in some way. They're in online groups, they come to our events, they download our research, you know, they're, they're participating in some way. And of those 70,000, the majority are in North America, and I think that's because um, a lot of our programs are live, you know, it's a webinar, for example, and so those are the time zones that are already awake and conveniently able to participate. But we see people from all over the world, 135 different countries participating in some way. And a lot of that is because what we what we offer at N10, the kind of um, content and educational focus is not on any particular tool. Um, we believe that you can figure out, you know, what you need to do with Microsoft Office or the database that you use by visiting the websites associated with those um, with those products. It's of course in their best interest to make sure you know how to use those tools. And where we can provide value is helping organizations understand the more strategic view. How do you make a decision about which database to use? How do you make sure your staff are trained in using tools that you've committed to adopting? Those kinds of questions. And I think because it isn't based on a tool, it, it's really looking at how we make decisions, how we invest, and how we, how we use technology that people from many different countries want to access that content and want to be part of the conversation. And you talked about your own experiences growing up. Do you Are you involved in countries where that isn't the norm, where they don't have ready access to technology, uh, particularly as students where, as you said, it just it, it was part of growing up and it wasn't extraordinary in that regard. Um, do you, are, are you exposed to countries that, uh, that really don't uh, or aren't able to take that for granted? Oh, definitely. I used to be based in the UK and did a lot of work kind of throughout parts of uh, Eastern Europe. And I remember leading some workshops in Romania where I had, of course, brought in my own assumptions and had done research on different technology adoption rates and access to internet connection, you know, all those pieces to help me get a sense before I came into the country. And everyone in the workshop was saying, well, what, we want, what we want to learn are campaign strategies for Facebook. And I thought, how does this mesh with knowing that so many people don't have devices of any kind, whether that's you know a computer or a laptop or a smartphone or anything? If so many people don't have devices, how, you know, in my kind of uh, ethical position as, as a trainer, should I invest time in training these nonprofit staff in Romania on how to campaign on Facebook? And when we dug into the, both into the adoption data around Facebook and then more specifically looked at some of their kind of lead community members and how they were, how they were organizing people in their community, what we found was that there may be low device ownership, but everyone had a Facebook account and they would just all log in and then log back out on someone else's phone so that they could still go into this place where they were connected and maybe, you know, sharing pictures or stories or just maintaining relationships with family members and friends, even though they didn't own that device. So thinking about not just, okay, great, here's how to campaign on Facebook, but what does it look like to campaign on Facebook when you know someone will only be logged in for 10 minutes, right? Because they don't own that phone and they don't have a home internet connection. Uh, so really adapting strategies to those local contexts. 
And the nonprofit uh, technology network could have gone in a couple of different ways, and you chose the nonprofit route. So, were there particular experiences, or was there something that led to your commitment to nonprofits to to go that route? Well, I didn't form N10, uh -huh. um, so I can't necessarily speak to the organization's founding decisions because I was not there. But I think for me personally, uh, even before I worked at N10, I have always been in the, the social sector, in the nonprofit sector. And for me, it's because I think technology really is a democratizing, with a lowercase d, democratizing space. If we do have the potential, that's not to say it is currently uh, reality, but we do have the potential to create much more equitable systems by giving people access to the pathways where we create the tools that we use. And I think that, to me, really speaks to a few, a few kind of values that I have throughout my life. One is community. That really means all of us have to be participating, right? We all have to be online. We all have to be somewhat literate in, in digital tools so that we can be participating in that space and shaping it to be more equitable. Uh, it also means that's the potential for real change. I think there are plenty of incredible examples from all of human history of the way that we make change you know, in a geographic community, in a political uh, state, in all those different levels. But now, as we have the potential, if we can get all members of our community, you know, online and engaged, I think we have the potential for there to be really incredible change that happens as, you know, more voices are participating, more people are able to have access to information to make decisions uh, and I think participation and what participation means can really change uh, and then lead to, to the way we even make change you know how do we what does it look like to vote in a new world what does it look like to you know make proposals for improving your city park you know all of those things can really really um, take on a new shape when we're all participating and have access so I, I've never I've never really wanted to work at an intersection that was not how technology supports all of us participating and having access and making the change we want in the world. And do you find that nonprofits are taking full advantage of technology? Often, as you know, nonprofits, they have perhaps fewer resources, fewer staffing. Uh, are they able, in your experience, to take full advantage of technology today where they don't have the resources of, a, of an IBM or a Microsoft? Yeah. And it's a really great question. I, I, have, I have multiple answers that, that maybe dovetail but aren't all necessarily in the same direction. So first I'd share, N10 does research annually on technology, staffing, and investments in nonprofits. So how many staff and what are the roles of those staff managing technology and also what kind of investments and budget and kind of strategies are organizations employing. And the latest report on tech staffing and investments is the ninth the ninth one and what we have seen consistently over the years is that nonprofit staff say they actually do have the technology they don't need the organization to invest in buying another thing or a newer thing or a fancier more sophisticated thing 
But what they don't have, consistently the lowest ranked uh, option, is they don't have training to use the tools they've already purchased. And that to me is the biggest, the biggest place that we can, inside an organization, make a change that doesn't require a lot more financial capacity, right? But it has a huge output um, as far as our kind of human capacity in the organization. Uh, if we know it doesn't really matter ultimately if you have a super sophisticated top of the line database or something pretty minimal, if your staff aren't using it and they don't, they don't know how to use it effectively, it doesn't matter, right? It's not being used. You don't, you don't have the value of that tool. So for me, I think the biggest place for organizations when you feel like, oh my gosh, we're just a small organization, we don't have a lot of you know, budget, we can't buy a lot of things, that's okay. If you have one place to invest, it's training all of your staff to use the tools that you do have as an organization as effectively as you can. Um, and that doesn't just mean you know, on your first day, you're told here are all the, here are all the passwords, right? And here's how to log in. How, how much do we even remember from our first day on our job? You know, it really needs to be ongoing training, not just on that onboarding day. Sure. And, and uh, have you found that regardless of the size of the nonprofit, that collaboration is a key element in, uh, in the staffing? Yeah, we do find that regardless of organization size, as far as like size defined by budget, that you can be a really, you know, leading organization. It doesn't, it's not just really big budgets that are able to be innovative and strategic and collaborative, et cetera. It doesn't, that can happen at any budget level because it's really about how you set your organization up to do that. Um, and one piece that we have seen that I think touches on the collaboration point is um, over the last few years, we've seen more of a distribution across what, what organizations define as technology roles. So instead of you know, saying, okay, well, we do have somebody that's working on technology, you know, maybe half of their job, and they're, they're the IT manager, right? That's their title, IT manager. Half of their time is technology, half of it is on maybe some of our other content or something. And so they report 0.5 FTE. But what we've seen over the years is this change to say, well, we do have someone who's you know, managing our physical hardware, and that's this percentage of their time, but we have this other staff person, maybe on another team, maybe they're on the communications team, and half of their time is actually spent on managing our data and helping do reporting and helping figure out where we could make improvements and recognizing those other jobs that are still technology, right? Data, web management, managing the website, all those other pieces really are technology roles. Um, and that's becoming more clear to nonprofits. And I think that's really important because when we recognize that someone is managing technology in their role and making decisions about technology, we're better able to have conversations instead of saying, well, here's the one IT manager, right? They'll make the decision kind of by themselves. And recognizing all of us maybe are touching technology and should be part of that conversation. Which is certainly a lesson that, uh, that all organizations can take back with them. Uh, and just again about the collaboration piece, you've authored, uh, co-authored two books uh, about technology and social change. 
Uh, and what was your experience working collaboratively as an author? I think it's pretty fun because you get to, you know, I think as a professional, sometimes you're not, you have this feeling of, okay, here's this project I'm working on. I need to go, I need to go do this project, right, all by myself. And when you have a co-author, I think it's really freeing to say, you know what, you know more than me on that. You go write those five pages, you know, um, and, and I know more than you on this. Or I've worked in, with an organization who did a campaign on this topic. I'd love to highlight that. Great, I'm going to go do that. You know, I think it really frees you up to focus on the places where you have the most experience and the most to share instead of feeling like, well, this is also another topic, but I'm, I'm not as confident in that or I don't have as much experience, but I'm still going to cover it um, because your kind of counterpart can, can carry those pieces. Sure. And what issues do social change anytime, everywhere, and social by social address? So in social change anytime, everywhere, we try to break down the idea of multi-channel strategies, which sounds very jargony, but really just means you have a campaign or content that isn't posted only on your website, right? Maybe it's also distributed in email and you post about it on Twitter, etc. Thinking strategically about that entire experience for your supporters. How do you connect that content and calls to action and messages so folks are able to kind of follow along and participate and take action? And we break that down by the, the kind of goal or department that might be employing those strategies. So first, looking at taking action and advocacy which I think is something that a lot of organizations feel like they do well online, you know, like putting out that call to action, but really thinking about how it's not just the same sentence with a link on every single platform, right? You might want to tailor that a bit to get folks to participate and have it feel a, a little bit more relative to the channel. And then we talk about fundraising, which is, I mean, I get asked about fundraising online all of the time because everyone of course wants to know can we fundraise on Facebook or Twitter can, can we raise money on these social channels and helping helping organizations think about it as part of that ecosystem right your Facebook channel is maybe complementary to your website and your email campaign and your direct mail and and when we think about it as complementary how does that help us better set expectations for each channel um, and then plan for the content and then finally, uh, focus on community building, where you maybe don't have an active fundraising campaign or an active call to action for your community, but you still want to keep folks engaged. So what does it look like to kind of build and support a community across all these channels when you don't have more of that kind of mission campaign to, to put out to them? And what about for nonprofits uh, that may not have uh, the IT person or that may not have the staffing to fully take uh, advantage of social media, uh, what would you suggest in, in that case? And are there places that these uh, nonprofits can go to, to fulfill that role? Sure. I would say even if you don't have someone whose title is, to use the example from before, you know, IT manager, you are all still using technology. All of us are using technology in our jobs. So we have to remove the idea that, you know, well, we don't have an IT person, we, right, but you're all still managing to edit the website and put, 
you know, information into the database and you're still doing all of the things that you need to do, even if that isn't someone's, you know, title. And I think that's really important because then we let ourselves stop feeling like, oh, well, I'm not smart enough or I'm not trained or I don't have a degree in this. It doesn't matter. You're still using it. You're probably just as, um, just as skilled now as someone else because you've actually tried it and you've gotten your hands in there. So first of all, don't feel like you have to have someone that has that title to, to be making these decisions well. And I think it is important to recognize who, uh, you know, in a small organization, maybe you have three people, who is the primary person kind of using each platform or tool so that you, you don't get into a trap of, well, we're just three people, so our executive director will make all the decisions really saying, I'm the one, you know, maybe I'm the communications and fundraising person, and I use the database more than anyone, and here's kind of what I've seen in there. And co opening up conversation around decisions so that everyone can share their, their part, um, the way they use that tool or the kind of problem that they need, to, they need that technology to solve in their role. Um, and there are lots of, lots of places to get information. It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for resources um, that you can kind of read and follow or you're looking for other people. Most, most people that come into the N10 kind of community come because they are looking for, you know, they're looking for that person who has their same job in another very small organization like them because they just want to know that someone else has done this. They want to commiserate a little bit and, you know, be able to share share tips or ideas and have that kind of peer relationship with someone who really does understand what it's like to be managing communications and fundraising and the database in a three-person organization. So many of Intense programs revolve around just connecting community members to other members, making sure that there is a support, a support network um, for people all across organizations. So you are welcome to come to N10 anytime. But I think beyond that, there are lots of resources. As I said at the beginning, if you, if you really want to make sure you have resources internally for staff based on the tools that you're using, go ask the makers of those tools. Um, I think we often underestimate how much kind of service and platform providers really do want us to succeed. And there are resources available to get those questions answered. And then if you're looking for more of the strategic decision-making piece, of course there's N10, but there are lots of other organizations as well, TechSoup, Idealware, um, lots, of, lots of groups who are tr really trying to make sure there's information available for nonprofits of all sizes. And hopefully they take full advantage of it because so many nonprofits, uh, whether they're large or small, have uh, absolutely wonderful missions. Uh, and some of them actually get hamstrung just in day-to-day in -day management. And uh, it's a shame when that happens because it's really not necessary, is it? Exactly. And I think, you know, one, one kind of reminder or counterpoint to all of this, you know, we're talking about adopting different technologies and employing different strategies and putting on, you know, multi-channel campaigns. I think that there's also this feeling in nonprofits sometimes that, you know, we really do, I mean, we hear it all the time, right? We need to be more like a business. We've got somebody on our board who works in a, you know, successful for-profit organization who's saying, 
you know, if we really want to be more sophisticated, we need to do all these things that, you know, I know from the business world. But at the end of the day, I think organizations are often kind of looking at these tools that they could potentially adopt, looking at other organizations who are doing cool, splashy, shiny things, and we forget that ultimately we're here to serve our community, however we define that, right, depending on what our services or programs are. And if our community isn't online with, you know, 60 million people in the U.S., for example, not online, how are we then saying we're going to just totally invest in and having this online only campaign if we're not also invested in making sure our community has access to participating with us or to sign up for our services on our website, right? So sometimes this internal desire or feeling like we have to catch up and just do everything digitally is missing the fact that our community isn't ready for that. Not all of our community members are online. So saying, great, we're no longer gonna spend all this time you know, knocking on doors, we're just going to put our program sign up on the website, you may actually be serving less people now. Which is a key thing for them to keep in mind. This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world. From the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions, Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Arch Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with Managing Editor Robert Rim and Amy Sample Ward, CEO of N10. Uh, and as far as what N10 focuses on, uh, just a couple of things, and maybe you can comment on each one of these. Uh, digital strategy, tech leadership, uh, digital inclusion, outcomes and impact. Um, maybe you could just uh, kind of address each one of these aspects, starting with digital strategy. Yeah. So with digital strategy, for us, this really means recognizing how we are creating um, successful kind of pathways, I guess you could say, for our work to be um, engaging the community and uh, visible online. So this is where we have a lot of content and research looking at not just how, how one does a multi-channel campaign or something like that, but also um, do, we, do we think that only one person in the organization you know, is responsible for everything that's on online? Or do we recognize that you know, there are multiple people in the organization who have great content for the website or have something to post on Facebook? You know, the staffing and collaboration component of, of successful digital strategies as well, which ties a lot for us into the tech leadership. There's, we've talked about this a bit, but for us tech leadership means recognizing that all of us are using technology and making sure that everyone in the organization 
feels confident making decisions about the technology that they need to use. That doesn't mean that every person in the organization is deciding everything, but if you're the communications manager and you're the one you know, using maybe your email marketing tool, recognizing that you don't need to say, oh, but I'm not the IT person, so I shouldn't be making a decision. You are managing that tool. It is part of your job and really wanting to support all staff understanding the basics of technology planning, um, return on investment analysis, budgeting, decision making, so that all of us are informed, you know, informed decision makers about the tools that we need. As far as digital inclusion, I think I touched on that a little bit just a minute ago, recognizing that all of us are at this kind of intersection of being an organization that, that really wants to operate in the most kind of sophisticated and advanced and successful ways, but we're also the ones directly connected to community members who may not have access or devices or the knowledge to, to use those devices if they were to go online. So bridging those two realities in nonprofits and helping organizations understand their role, regardless of their mission, in helping their community members be online so they can be a part of that organization's work and they can also be a part of their entire community able to participate in the 21st century and just um, uh, following through with that uh, talking about outcomes and impacts some uh, nonprofits uh, would for example spend an inordinate amount of time on either technology or their organizational structure and and kind of be looking inward to uh, to an extent that really doesn't serve their mission so how do they how do they incorporate all of this technology while still keeping the focus on the reason that they're there yeah I think one way for for me that helps me think about this is you know say we say we have a database and it's just a database right it's pretty passive it, it's there for us to kind of customize and set up however we want but it also means there are just so many options right we could do anything we want with that database how do we make how do we make a decision about when it's customized enough when we've got the fields that we need you know because we could just add fields forever right I could come up with a million different things I want to know about you and, and keep that in the database. And for me, I think uh, the helpful filter is, is this going to help us understand if we're meeting our mission? And is this going to help us tell the story that we are meeting our mission? If you want to have a million different tags associated with every contact in your database, go back to that question. Is this helping us know if we're meeting our mission? Is keeping all, you know, 10 of these tags actually helping us? No, you know, maybe it's not. Let's move on from trying to add 10 more tags to a profile. Um, I think those two questions are overlooked a lot because staff feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of reinforced that if this is a question about our mission, well, that's for the board, right? The, the board and, and maybe our executive director are there to kind of have conversations about our mission and we're here to do the work, right? We're staff, we're just here to do the work. 
And I think we miss a big opportunity for every staff person to feel equally invested in the mission and to feel like our work is directly connected to the mission, right? If we can use those questions regularly um, when we're making decisions about technology, you know, in the example I used, like trying to figure out where enough work is enough on our on our database, but also when we're trying to evaluate if we should adopt another another platform or not. Is this going to help us meet our mission? You know, is it going to help us know that we are doing that? And is it going to help us tell the story to the outside world that we really are? If it can't do those two things, I, I don't know that I could really justify it. Sure, which makes perfect sense. Uh, and um, talking about the missions of nonprofits, uh, so much of that involves building communities. Um, so just taking N10 as an example, what's been your experience in building a community? I love community. I think that the N10 community is interesting because it is so diverse. You know, 70,000 people from all over the world, naturally it's going to be pretty diverse. So for us, there's a lot of, I think, value and excitement when we find those places where even the most diverse of, of community members share something, you know, share a goal, share an interest, share a desire to learn something, and making sure that we celebrate that diversity, you know, really recognize that there are people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, from all different organizational missions, and then also really highlighting when there is that overlap when there is that shared sense of interest or wanting to learn something or like I said wh whatever that might be so that folks feel like there is opportunity to celebrate diversity there is opportunity to say hey this organization is so different from mine I'd love to learn from you and then everyone benefits from feeling like despite all of this diversity we have so much in common because I think in the nonprofit sector, we get into this trap of, you know, well, my organization is so special and so unique, right? My, I'm in this kind of category. I'm an arts organization or an environmental organization or a health organization. So I couldn't possibly talk to you, you know, in this other category because our organizations are just so different. And I really love the opportunity in a diverse community to help break down those assumptions that I think hold us back from getting to learn from each other. That's great to be able to recognize and so often isn't it the case Amy that uh, organizations incredibly diverse they actually they confront the same issues they, exactly. they deal with the same things they have the same desire to serve it just continues that way doesn't it? Right I mean we're all struggling with the same things you know how do we how do we do more how do we have a bigger impact with the same amount of staff how do we uh, invest in new areas when we have the same budget total as we did last year? How do, we, how do we figure out which of these crazy new social media tools to use? I mean, we're all struggling with those same questions. And I don't think having the conversation together means we all have to come to the same answer or, or the same conclusion. We don't all have to adopt, you know, Facebook or the same database or whatever. But I think having the conversation together helps us better understand so many of our options instead of just saying, well, this other organization in our kind of subsector is doing this, 
So I guess we'll just do that too. Sure. And communities and opportunities, obviously, uh, these are what nonprofits are looking to foster and develop, but that also uh, holds true within the organization itself. So just taking N10 as an example, uh, how would you describe your experience transitioning from membership director to CEO? Oh, interesting question. I think it's been interesting and challenging in some ways and very fun in other ways. I think for me, because I was the membership director before and have basically in all of my roles throughout my career been focused on the way technology enables communities to connect and, and collaborate, it really shaped the priorities that I have as the CEO. So having so intimately been involved in you know creating the membership strategies that we have and really trying to dig into the value we communicate to to community members about what being a member um, may mean for them has helped me as the CEO figure out outside of looking only at membership and you know individuals becoming a member how does that reflect across the organization in all of our operations what does that look like for evaluating potential sponsors or talking to potential funders, you know, wanting to really reflect the value and the goals of the community in all of our conversations. Um, and I think that also means we're now as a whole staff able to have those conversations. It's not limited to the membership team, right? Everyone is having a conversation about whether something will create value for, for the community or is just something we want to do and holding ourselves to really mean it has to create value for the community. It can't, it doesn't get to win just because we want to do it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the word fun, uh, which is great to hear. So again, in your experience, uh, is it the case that uh, uh, staffing in nonprofit organizations, uh, despite the challenges, despite the difficulties, and they are plentiful and inevitable, <laughs> uh, but despite that, do you find that people in nonprofits are, are generally having fun? I think so. I mean, I think we spend so much of our waking time working. It better be fun or yes. move on, right? Yes. <laughs> so I I hope that people are having fun. And I think, I think kind of of all sectors, it's incredibly important in nonprofit organizations that we create some space to have fun because it is so easy and tempting to just kind of lower ourselves down under the weight of the incredible amount of work that it will take to meet our missions, right? There are organizations, you said this earlier, you know, organizations have incredible missions. We have vision for such a better world, right? And we really, really want to get to a place where that better world exists for all of us. And I think for many of us that kind of drives us and feeds our passion, but it also means if we don't take some time to just have lunch together and laugh, we're going, not not to use the word burnout, it's more that we will just get to a place where we feel like we, we can't do it, right? We can't reach those goals, that what were we thinking with this mission will never end malaria, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important to, to create fun inside your organization so that we we are able to balance that. We're able to keep perspective that, you know, we are doing good work, progress is being made, 
and and we're going to get there together instead of feeling like oh my gosh we'll just it's never going to happen and it's really good for nonprofits to keep that in mind. Obviously, we hear companies like Google, they've got, uh, unli they've got unlimited resources uh, faster than, it, than they could ever print money uh, <laughs> as, as they make. So, you know, they, they, they uh, uh, provide all kinds of opportunities for employees to have fun. And as a result, what they found is that productivity is just way higher. So it's a great investment. It's not just something that they provide for fun. Uh, so how can nonprofits take this mindset, uh, even with limited resources, just to, to engage uh, community and have fun with each other? I don't think that having fun has to cost anything. I think something that we've found a lot of value in here at N10 is just setting aside a 30-minute window, kind of standing standing meeting, you know, on everybody's calendar once a week where if you're not on a call, you don't have to be in a meeting, just eat lunch together at the table. And forcing ourselves to be away from our machines, right, sitting at the table together and not talking about work, getting to talk about, you know, whatever you read in the paper that morning, some you know, cat video that you just watched, <laughs> just getting to create connection and tell funny stories and really let each other be ourselves and, you know, be people instead of just our role, right? Well, you're the communications manager, so I'm talking to you about this project versus you're Emily. And I just want to talk to you about being Emily, you know? I think that's really powerful and it creates opportunities, even if you're not laughing the whole time and it's all telling jokes, I think that space to be to be out of our, our job and not looking at our inbox really does create some space. And what you know I mentioned this is this has really been valuable for us. And part of it is because you start having a natural organic conversation, you know, oh I read this thing in the, the newspaper this morning, you kind of go down that rabbit hole for a while and then someone will say that's such an interesting topic. I wonder if we could get a guest article on that in our next quarterly journal. Oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. We would have never thought about that otherwise. You know, so sometimes it still ties back back to our work, but maybe lets other staff into those decisions and ideas that that otherwise they wouldn't get to be a part of. And along those lines, how's empathy played a role in shaping N10's approach, both within and outside the organization itself? Yeah, that's a great question. We, It's interesting. So N10 was created by the community we serve. Um, just to tell that story briefly for context. So in the 90s, folks who kind of self-identified with this now a little bit wonky and, and less used term circuit writer, which really meant folks who were not nonprofit staff right back in the 90s there weren't a lot of technology staff and nonprofits so um, consultants or contractors that help nonprofits but around technology projects so you know getting an office set up on wireless or helping an organization uh, you know implement a new database whatever those technology projects were and those circuit writers were kind of self-organizing they knew that somebody else had figured this out and they wanted to talk to them but it takes a lot of work to organize a community. So after a few years of, of self-organizing, the community voted and said, yes, we, we do want to form an organization 
that can serve us. And we received initial funding and support from the from Microsoft, from the AOL Foundation, and from CERDNA Foundation. And that's when the organization formed, when N10 formed back in 2000. So we feel very, very connected to the community. You know, when we say we're a community-driven organization, we create processes that enable the community to surface needs and, and we respond to that, we really mean it, right? The community formed us. If we're not able to engage the community and understand what the community needs, we will, we will very quickly be creating things that are not of value. So we need to stay connected. And I think that drives a lot of empathy because it means every single staff person, regardless of their kind of role or job title, every staff person is expected to be engaging community members every day, figuring out, you know, oh my gosh, somebody called because they can't get an invoice to work. Let me actually figure that out with this person versus I'm just gonna transfer this, you know, or, oh, it's just an invoice issue, whatever, we'll mail it to you. You know, really wanting to go there with community members and, and figure things out together. Um, we also have staff who, you know, we all kind of represent different segments of the community. There are staff who have really technical backgrounds. There are staff who, you know, have English degrees and um, love technology and have taught themselves by kind of fumbling, fumbling through different tools how to do this work. And I think recognizing and, and feeling comfortable with the fact that, sure, we're N10, we're the nonprofit technology network, but not all of our staff use Facebook because they don't all necessarily want to. You know, not all of our staff feel like they're a database expert, but we all still use it because, you know, it's, it's how we track everything in the organization. And being honest and open with the community about that has, has created a lot of really valuable connections. So when, when a staff person, you know, is participating in one of our online community groups and says, oh yeah, we have a, a website that's based in WordPress and I don't understand it at all, but I have this question you know, community members feel like, great, someone is, you know, acknowledging that their organization is using a tool that maybe they still have a question about, right? We're not all perfect experts at N10. And that creates not just empathy on our side for the community members, but it really connects community members to staff. They, let, they get to see that we're not perfect either. And those kinds of connections can really be such fun, can't they? Yeah, I yeah. mean, because then we learn all kinds of things and, you know, from the community, they learn from us. We get to make ongoing jokes about the strange tools we all use, you know. And it's also a way to look beyond ourselves, which is uh, really just terrific uh, to be able to recognize. Um, and then um, just uh, thinking about the future, uh, what does that hold for N10? Well, it, it maybe sounds like a bit of a cop-out of an answer, but... You know, we don't accept cop-out answers here. So. <laughs> the the future is yeah. really what the community needs. Uh -huh. You know, if if the community says we no longer need or, or want programs like X, but we do need them like Y, then that's our opportunity to stop doing X and start doing Y. Um, I think for us, what's most challenging about that is really wanting to make sure that we are creating programs you know, defined in, in the loosest way, creating programs that that result in, in what we offer the community 
that are as successful as they can be right now and not get emotionally attached to them so that if next year they aren't what the community needs, despite them being successful this year, we're okay moving on. Um, I think for a lot of organizations and for us too, you know, it's really, it's really a challenge to say we're no longer doing this thing that was great before. But if we can hold ourselves accountable to the community and not just to ourselves, right? If we can say this, this is helping us meet our mission, right? This is creating value for our community. Then we let go of that feeling of, but it was so great last year. Why should we stop doing it? And I think that for us helps us shape the future. Um, it helps us know how we want to engage the community to figure out what the future looks like. And that's a key lesson for nonprofits, uh, specifically, to be flexible, to be adaptable. Uh, so often, it's based on a mission that might have been done five years ago that's right. no longer directly relevant today. And if organizations keep that in mind always, they're much more likely to be flexible, adaptable, and successful, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And what advice, Amy, would you offer to young social entrepreneurs, uh, perhaps those seeking to become involved with nonprofits? Hmm. I would say really challenge yourself to figure out what you are passionate about. Um, because like we said earlier, you don't need to feel like there's only a certain type of organization where you can, you know, use your skills or, or be in the kind of role you want to be in. Every nonprofit, you know, despite how much we believe we're all beautiful snowflakes, every <laughs> nonprofit is going to have to communicate what they do. It's going to have to, you know, either fundraise for dollars or, or be raising supporters. You know, all of these kind of functions, so to speak, exist across organizations. So even though you know that you really want to manage online campaigns or you want to be a fundraiser or you want to be, you know, managing staff, you'll be able to find that role in any, in any organization, really, um, in some way. And so what I would encourage you to do is not try and say, okay, I'm going to be just the very best you know, applicant on this type of role, but instead figure out w what mission you want to be surrounded by every day. Because, I mean, you are really going to be talking about it every day, <laughs> you know? And, and whether that's a geographic community, so you know... You know, I live in Milwaukee and I just want to be working in an organization that is making Milwaukee better. Or I live in France and I want to be working in an organization that supports all, all of France, you know. Or it is, it is more of a mission. It's more of a topic. You know, I really want to be helping animals or saving the environment. Finding the mission you want to surround yourself with because that's also the people you surround yourself with. It's the content you're going to surround yourself with. I think knowing that that's a mission you're connected to versus I want to, you know, be a program manager who titles in the nonprofit sector are silly. Who knows what you're even applying for when you say, you know, communications manager or program manager. So find the mission you want and then you can figure out within that organization or in that sector, what kind of skills and experience and, and role you want to have. And being open to different career directions is yeah. so essential, isn't it? Especially exactly. for young people 
where they might uh, have a, a preordained path that they're expected to follow and yet which doesn't uh, in fact make use of their gifts or doesn't fulfill them and uh, being able to recognize that uh, that they may not know what happens in two or three years is totally fine isn't it oh exactly like I said I mean for me I, I can only speak for my own experience here but for me what I knew I wanted were places where I could help really build and engage communities because we could you know take advantage of different technologies to keep people connected or to communicate with them or even find you know who maybe isn't involved in this conversation and should be and that's meant I've worked in all kinds of different organizations from you know advocacy and support organizations around um, domestic violence to public education reform to you know, all kinds of things but the through line for me was not you know anything other than what I really want is to be in a position where my organization understands the value of community and I want to be helping build a community around that cause and that helped me you know apply for jobs figure out where I wanted to work less than I just want to be a communications manager right um, I knew kind of what mission I wanted to be surrounded by and that was engaging communities and on that positive note, the best way to reach Amy and to find out more about N10 is through N10.org. Click on the webpage links above this podcast for further details. And Amy, great discussion. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Robert. It was fun. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.